Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I understand that I stand between you and lunch, and so I think I prepared for that because I won't be long. So if you're going to get on board, you're going to have to get on board pretty quick because before, before you know it, it's going to be over. But I think the Lord would have us hear something today. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 25. I'm going to read Matthew 6, verse 25 through 33. It's a lengthy reading, but I'm going to do that nonetheless. And if you'll just allow me for a few minutes to speak to myself today. Matthew 6 and 25, if you have it, would you say amen? amen? Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sold not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking one thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? In verse 20, or 32, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. And we're going to take a text from this. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Can we pray? Lord, we love you today. God, we thank you immensely, Lord, that you've allowed us to be in this place. I am humbled, God, to stand before these people. And I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, to anoint my mind to speak what you have given me and help us, Lord, to receive it. And I'll forever give you all the praise and all the glory. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. Over the span of three chapters, book of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we read the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching, and he's instructing his disciples. He's teaching them very important principles, principles of living both in the spiritual and in the natural world. 
He's teaching them how to operate in their present world. And throughout these chapters, Jesus instructs them how to conduct themselves and how to react to circumstances and situations. He teaches them right from wrong and how to treat one another. He teaches them how to pray and what to pray. Not a prayer to recite, but a pattern of prayer. He teaches them the principles of giving and forgiving and how to treat people, how to treat them properly. All of this is at the foundation of Christian living. But nestled seemingly in the center of his sermon is what I want to focus our, our attention today. In verse 32 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I believe that there are many things that weigh on the hearts of people today. Many things attempt to come against uh, even people not in the church and people in the church. It tries to redirect our focus, if you will. In particular, it's the cares of life, one in particular. It's a trick of the enemy to try and turn you or draw you away from the fundamental truths of God's word. He understands that it's the Word of God that will mold you. He understands that it's the Word of God that will shape your life. And he understands that it is the Word of God that will ultimately mold and shape you into what God intends you to be. He knows that it's in the house of God where you will receive the majority of your spiritual sustenance and will ultimately ensure your survival, both in this world into the next. So he would like to redirect your focus to things. Or he would like to inundate you with worry, with what is going on around you. Worry for things that individually we cannot change. Changing that focus and placing it on the world will eventually turn into infatuation and will rob me of my time with God which will eventually taint my trust in God. Mark 4 and 19 says, it's the cares of this world and deceitful riches. Luke records it as the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Luke 21 and 34 says it again like this, it's surfeiting, which is an excessive amount or an overindulgence of something, and drunkenness and cares of this life. What is it talking about? It's talking about an intoxication or a constant concern about what is going on in the world and the things of this world. It's a pursuit of those things, Jesus warns, is seeking after temporal things, seeking after those things that will weigh you down. And seeking after them will weigh you down, and it will leave you empty and broken. Jesus said, don't seek these things that the Gentiles seek. Or don't seek what the world is seeking after. Because those things are empty. They have no fulfillment. Seeking fulfillment in worldly things will literally leave you empty. Because they are empty in and of themselves. And so they have the, not the ability to fulfill. Because after that pursuit is over, and you come to the thing that you've gone after, if it's not of God, you will inevitably come to these conclusions. It isn't nearly what you thought it would be. 
It doesn't do nearly what you thought it would do. And there's already something else out there. Just a little further. Just a little beyond your present reach. That's bigger and better. Making the thing that you've just obtained obsolete. We see this play out in our technology. You can spend a small fortune on something and in just mere moments it's become obsolete. Something newer and shinier. Something faster is already on the shelf. But one thing that I can tell you today that won't become obsolete is the Word of God. The Word doesn't have an expiration date. It doesn't have a shelf life and it will never become irrelevant. The world can beat upon it. It can attempt to discredit it. It can try to outmatch it. But the Word of God is just that. It's the Word of God, and it's not going anywhere. They can try to counterfeit doctrines, and they can come up with New Age philosophies to try to eradicate the Word, but it won't work. His Word is forever settled in heaven, and nothing will ever change that. A poet once penned these words, Last eve I passed beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter these hammers so? Just one, said he. Then with a twinkling in his eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word. For ages, skeptics' blows have beat upon. Yet through the noise of fallen blows was heard. The anvil is unharmed, the hammers gone. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall not pass away. Yes, we live in a world that attempts to discount the word of God. Yes, we live in a society that is increasingly blurring the lines between right and wrong. Yes, we live in a world that is trying to smear the lines between righteousness and unrighteousness, attempting to mix light with darkness. But amidst all of that, God is still God. And his word is still the same. His word is yea and amen. And it is forever settled. Because of this settled word, we have hope. Because of this settled word, we have a sure foundation. We have salvation. And we have security because of it. He is not slack concerning his promises. And his principles are still the same. He has always had a plan. He's always had a plan for mankind. He created the heaven and the earth, and with great precision and care, he cares for man the same. He lays out principles. He lays out direction. Not for his own sake, but for ours. He instructs us what to do and what not to do for very specific reasons. It's not our best interest to question God, but it is in our best interest to follow him. He separated the night from the day, light from dark. He gave some absolutes in his word, commandments to be followed. He set lines and limits and boundaries that were not to be crossed. There is a right and there is a wrong. It really is simply black and white. There is no in-between. However, the world that we live in today that would like to paint our world gray and have shades of that in our individual worlds and even in our society. 
In some cases, they would even like to erase the lines and have no real boundaries. And anything goes. Words are tossed around like tolerance, individual choice, an alternative lifestyle. But I ask today, alternative to what? Because to say alternative would indicate that there is an absolute. And it would also indicate that there is more than one choice. In fact, we do have a choice. We've been given our free will by Him. We have a choice to do right, and we have a choice to do wrong. We have a choice to live for God, and we have a choice, dare I say, to seek the world and forsake Him. But one thing remains. You cannot do both. It has to be one or the other. You can't sit on the fence. A side has to be chosen. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 6 and 24, No man, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot do both. There has to be a choice to be made. It's the same thing essentially that God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 30 and 19. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. It really is that simple today. Life or death, blessing, or cursing. But I must make the choice. I must choose to follow him and seek after him. The operative word being choose. I must seek the kingdom and nothing else. And that's what brings us back to Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things these things shall be added unto you. The world seems to be seeking everything opposite of God and his righteousness. Jesus' words to his disciples that day are still the same today. That principle is not outdated or antiquated. In fact, it's even more true today. It, it pains me to think that people in this world, use social media to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. They ask questions, hard questions. What should I do about this and what should I do about that to learn what their friends would think and what their friends would say to do. But in reality, what we need to be doing is we need to find an altar. We need to fall on our face before God and ask what He wants us to do and what he wants me to do. His word is still the same. It's never changed. Now I'm not necessarily preaching against things or having things. But it's the pursuit of those things. That will lead to the pursuit of other things. It's not just about clothes. It's not just about food. But what Jesus was saying was this is where it starts. There's no telling where you'll end up. 
Remember he said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Brother Rayleigh spoke so aptly this morning. It's not my righteousness. It's not who I am or what I am, but it's his righteousness. He, he must reign in my life. When you direct your focus off of God, there is only one other place to go. Anything that is opposite of his word and his righteousness is simply unrighteousness. If I'm going to make it in this world, then my focus, everything that I am, must be upon his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything in my life must revolve around the kingdom and not the other way around. Seek first the kingdom. That word kingdom comes from a Greek word that means royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule. The word seek denotes more than just merely looking for or looking at or looking to. It means to seek in order to find something. It is proactive. So I must seek proactively to the kingdom to have his authority and his reign and his dominion in and over my life, covering me and governing every thought and every action. In order for me to live the way that he intends, for me to live the way God has set, I must seek his will and I must seek his authority first above anything else. He told the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth, so in heaven. If I can say it like this, in earth, if we're made of an earthen vessel, then that kingdom, that power, that authority must be in me. It must come in me. I have to be in the kingdom and it has to be in me in order for me to live the way that he wants me to live. This will ensure that my actions from that point is what he intends. It will cause a sure foundation to be laid in my life. For the sake of repeating myself over and over again. The fact is this. If I will seek him first, it will cause me to know him and to know his word. Knowing him and knowing his word will lead me into all truth. Which will shore up some things in my mind and in my heart. Protecting me from this world and its ever-changing outlook on life and the way that it is to be lived. Paul said this in Colossians 2 and 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have taught, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you through vain philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I must walk in him and seek him with everything that I am and all that I have. He holds all power, and no matter what, I know that I can trust him with my life and with the life of my family. He will supply my needs according to his riches. And everything will work for my good as long as I seek him first. 
You see, God has not laid out some complicated thing for us to follow. Rather, it's very simple. It's a simple principle, but not for simple people. The word simple comes from a root word meaning single. So it's not complex, it's simple, it's single. For single-minded people, not for simple-minded people to arbitrarily follow, but for single-minded people that have their minds set on one thing and one thing alone, furthering the kingdom of God no matter the cost. It is even frightening to think that we could make it absent from his word. I shudder to think some how people live their lives today absent from him and absent from his word. When tragedy strikes or the weight of the world begins to weigh down, I, I can't imagine having to walk through anything without him. The truth is today we can't make it without him. We simply cannot survive without him. So I pose this question today. What would happen if we seek, cease to seek the kingdom of God first? What would happen if we didn't seek his approval, his authority, and his righteousness in and over our lives? This would be the only answer that I would look to the world to find the answer. This is the only thing that I would ever look to the world to find the answer for or to discover. But the answer is found in our nation today. Now don't misunderstand me. I love this country. I fought for this country. Well, you could say I fought for this country. I actually laid asphalt for this country in Iraq. So I served in the military. So I, I love this country and I believe in this country. So don't, don't take this the wrong way. But the answer is found in our nation. Our nation today has ceased to be a Christian nation. And the Judeo-Christian principles that once lie at the foundation of our way of life, they no longer exist. God has been pushed out of everything for the sake of political correctness. And so today, this is where I want to go. This is what prompted me, and this is what stirred my heart. I read an article that outlines another article in a magazine that I don't read. But the source that it comes from is a very trusted source. But I read this article and it outlines another article and, and, and this is what it stated. It's in Time Magazine if you want to look it up. But it cut me. It cut me to the core. And what I'm about to say may be somewhat controversial, but I feel like it's fitting. But the cover title boasted in this magazine, Gay Marriage Already Won. The corresponding article inside the magazine boasts that their movement, their community, has gone from the stone wall to the altar in just two generations. The writer of the article outlines this on, and he states that the, the writer of the other article boasts that no matter the Supreme Court's decision, America has already decided in just two generations is all it took to drastically alter the fabric of a Christian nation. 
just two generations of heads turned, looking the other way, minding our own business. Two generations of allowing carnality to slip into our entertainment choices. Two generations of falling asleep at the wheel. And I say two generations as a nation of falling and failing to seek God and His righteousness. The Bible says that there is a way that seemeth right unto man. But that way leads to destruction. We must seek His righteousness. We must seek Him in everything that we do, allowing His principles to, to, to touch us and to motivate us and to move us in the right direction. But just two generations of allowing His principles to fade into the background has caused that movement to go to the stone wall, to the altar. That's what happens when a nation ceases to seek God. But that started with an individual that led into a family, that led into that nation. It's an example of how quickly things can spiral out of control. One small compromise after another will eventually bleed over into other things, inevitably affecting your life and your family. And so today, I, I close with this. We are the church. And today we are the direct result of people that did not compromise. We are a direct result of men and women who were utterly devoted to the word of God and seeking his kingdom. They were in the kingdom and the kingdom was in them. They sought God and his righteousness and fought for principles out of his word. They followed the leading of the Spirit and they prayed and they fasted. They warred and they fought battles to maintain their apostolic identity in their present world. Our forefathers taught us and instructed us in the ways of God and lived in front of us the way that we should live. They cleared the way. But unfortunately, that, that generation is now passing away. And they're now handing it down to us. They're handing us, mind you, a church that is not weak. They're handing us a church that is on fire and that is vibrant and strong and built upon the backs of strong people and the word of God. So with that, I say this. They're handing it to us. They're giving it to us. And we are required to do the same, if not more. Because to whom much is given, much is required. We have a generation of children that are coming behind us. They need to know how to seek the kingdom. They need to know where to go. They need to know where to place their trust. And when they get there, they need to find an old fire. Apostolic church, still founded on Acts 2.38, still founded on separation from the world, still founded firmly in God's word, earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We are in a fight today. We are fighting for morals.
We are fighting to overcome complacency. We are in a fight for our families. We must stand and fight. It's high time for people of God to stand for what is right. It isn't time to blend and melt into the background, but it's time to be outwardly apostolic, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and living out the Word of God, but living it out in truth and in love and in righteousness. It's not time to camouflage ourselves and appear to be like the world. I don't want to garner anything from the world. I don't want to seek direction from it or base my life upon it. But I want to be firmly planted, seeking the kingdom, his righteousness, and his will. Because we owe it to our predecessors. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our children. And we owe it to our God. Can we stand today today together? Can we lift our hands? Can we just magnify him? Come on, somebody. We need... We need, we need the Lord. We need Him. We need His Word. We need His kingdom. We need it in us and we need to be in it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.